Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry. This is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io and join today. Today, my guest is Petra Zink. Petra is a certified personal branding and digital strategist, international speaker, business growth consultant, and most recently, author of the book, Trusted Authority. She has specialized in helping professionals systematize, package, and monetize their expertise so they can become the trusted authorities in their industry and become recognized beyond their title. She is the founder of Impact and the 360 Talent Company. Both companies are designed to future-proof individuals and organizations through coaching, training, and keynotes that make long-lasting change. Petra is host to the Trusted Authority Podcast, a top-rated personal brand podcast show is an official Forbes Coaches Council member, is a regular contributor on Forbes.com, the CEO magazine, news.com.au, and multiple podcasts. She has a master's degree from Vienna University of Economics and Business and now lives in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, Petra, welcome, and thank you for doing the show with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Honestly, I'm super excited about this conversation. Oh, good. I am too. This is the first one I've done that's really Focused on branding, I'm probably overdue in that respect. So I mentioned in the introduction... You cannot overdo anything on branding. Let's just put it out there. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. I mentioned in the introduction that that's your specialty, but give us an overview of your current work and the various enterprises that you've got going today. Absolutely. Now, in a nutshell, I call myself a brand and business growth strategist. So I run two businesses, but I'm in the midst of connecting both of them simply because of the changed market conditions in the last 18 or so months. Now, in a very brief overview, Impact, which is my first business, which I've been running for about seven years now, is my personal brand and executive coaching practice and mainly for B2C clients, meaning business to consumer clients. And then 360 right. Co works with businesses. Like it's a B2B consultancy on all things talent and leadership. And we do everything from the talent mapping to the recruitment to leadership development. A lot of my coaching clients who are entrepreneurs or who are executives who want to exit the corporate world and set up their own business or who are founders who need to pitch for money because they want to set up their own business. I have now emerged the two businesses together and I'm working with a lot of scale-ups on the end-to-end solution. So pretty much working with the executives or the entrepreneurs to get some funding, to do their pitch, to build their teams, to work on a product and market development and to develop their leaders. And this is what I'm doing today. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can easily see how those things would come together if you're working with people who are exiting the traditional corporate world and doing something on their own and then you continue to help them and also help their businesses. So glad that you're able to 
kind of bring those things together. That's awesome. It's also what we want to mention in terms of an excuse for people who are stuck in a career that they don't like. Because if you are not evolving, the world doesn't wait for you. <laughs> like your skill set and your expertise eventually becomes irrelevant if you're not adjusting to what's happening in the market. So this is your excuse to explore the world. <laughs> it's very true. I think about it. I mean, talk to people who were entrepreneurs back in the 1980s, people who are sort of my contemporaries who left university, college in the 80s at some point. And back then, going out and doing something on your own was a lot harder. Now it's just so much more common and you can do it in so many different ways. The last person I interviewed actually was a guy who sets people up in franchise businesses. And well, there are more and more options to do that certainly than there was a generation ago when it was the restaurant chains. So it's just a lot's really changed. It's great, as you say, time to be able to choose your own path. I think so. And not just the ability to have the option, but I think it's also the requirement and the necessity to do so because we are seeing left, right and centers that companies are still making tons of people redundant. So it's not just one or two every now and then, it is literally thousands of people and they are all very smart professionals and it's nothing because of their own wrongdoing. It's simply because the companies are responding to market changes themselves. So everyone needs to explore entrepreneurship in one way or another to future-proof their careers. Yeah, I think it's very true. And even if you don't get made redundant or laid off, people don't stay with the same employer anymore. And I've changed jobs, I don't know, four or five times in my life and employers, I mean, in the course of my career. And my kids will probably change jobs seven to 10 times in the course of their career. So you've got to be in it for yourself. You've got to be thinking about if this goes away, what would I do next? Or if I don't really like this, what would I do next? And whether that's entrepreneurship or the, another corporate job, you have to take care of yourself, which is where the whole branding thing comes into play. Yes. Yeah, so just to understand, this is why personal branding is so important, because what it is in a nutshell is that you are known for more than your job title or your skill sets. And it makes a pivot a lot easier because people know you for your characteristics, for your traits, and also for your story. And the second, you can connect the dots and can make sense of your background and how it benefits your next steps and why people should not only consider you as an option, but as the one and only choice. This is yeah. where the magic happens of personal branding. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll come back to that in a sec. I'm curious before we do, though, a lot of people, they're in the corporate world, they get sick of it, they leave, right? You've always seemed to have a bit of a blend of things going on fairly far back in your career. Was that by design or did it just kind of happen that way? It was kind of by accident. <laughs> like when I was still at school, so my parents are both entrepreneurs and they've run their businesses forever in two days. And when I turned 13, my dad got me to work in his business and it was a furnishing business. So I was always doing that kind of part-time since I was at school. And then I got into fitness and started to become a group fitness instructor and personal trainer at the age of 16. So I did that part-time. And then when I started uni, I added being a PA to a general manager from a mobile marketing organization. So I had three roles. And then it just always happened that I have at least two or three things on the go. And nowadays I've got nine income streams. I'm, I'm about to add a tenth one, but yeah, wow. I've kind of always had that by, also by accident rather than design. <laughs> so was there an aha moment for you when you finally gave up the corporate world entirely? <laughs> yes, <laughs> there were actually a couple, but it took me three rounds altogether to actually make the jump. So when I first changed my career from marketing into recruitment, one of the first agencies I 
killed it. So be very frank. And I got from head office every week and said, Petra, you're doing amazing, but never, ever do that again. I was like, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> why is that? Because it's not uh, what we do. You're too much out there. I was like, well, I make you a lot of money, so I can probably do what I want. <laughs> you know, I was also a bit, not arrogant, but quite confident in my abilities. Anyway, yeah. then I moved into another agency and they promised me the world that I could do everything and anything that I wanted. And again, the same kind of conversation. You know, we love what you do, but we're not quite sure. You should probably go and do it the tried and tested way. And I want you to be on the phone all the time. And it's not me either. And eventually I was like, nah, not doing that. And then because I was still a bit too shy, I actually get, got into a partnership with somebody else. So I was kind of still, quote unquote, the employee, even though it was not employed, but still a kind yeah. of set up. And I made him a lot of money. And I was like, I've got enough of making other business money and people money. I get out onto my own. But yeah, it took me a while. And I did Moonlightning, what we call here, for a couple of years before I actually went out there. So there was a lot of work, thinking, learning before I took the leap. And a lot of adjusting because my initial process or my initial direction was actually employer branding. And that was now about 10 years ago. Back then, nobody cared about employer branding. They said, our doors are getting run in by candidates anyway. We couldn't care less about what you do. You know, obviously, times have changed and now everyone talks about employer branding. But I am glad I made this shift into personal branding because this is exactly what the future of work looks like. I agree completely with you. And I'm curious, as we get into branding, what are the foundational beliefs that underpin the way that you approach the topic? This is such a good question because often people think it's all about how famous you are or how many followers you've got or how much influence or the titles that you have. And it has nothing to do with it. I always boil it down to self-awareness in terms of why and to whom can you add the biggest value to? Because in a second, you know that you can be more intentional about what kind of careers am I taking? What kind of people do I need to be surrounded by? What kind of tasks do I need to perform where I outshine others and I enjoy doing it? So it comes down to really having language towards your emotions and towards your behavior and being very intentional about that. And so many people complain, quote unquote, about I don't have the time for this and time management is a big topic. And I always bring it down to energy management because when I enjoy something and I'm good at doing it, I can do it in a couple of minutes that other people take two hours for. So it comes down to more being really clear about where can you outperform and why, because then you can transfer this particular skill into a different industry. And this is also where career changes and transitions come in and you can make it a lot easier. But yeah, it comes down to self-awareness with the one word. And clearly, as you're talking about this, this is not just about people who want to have a public persona. It's really for everybody. Absolutely. And so many leaders realize now the importance of personal branding because the way they show up, the way they communicate, the way they hold meetings, it all comes down to being intentional about how do I want to be perceived? What should people think about me when they leave the room? How should they communicate how this meeting went? How would they talk to their friends when it comes to brand ambassadors? How can we attract the best talent through our own people? How can we attract better clients by having our clients being advocates for us? This all comes down to branding and how people perceive and experience you. The concept goes back probably about 25 years. I think Tom Peters is the one who gets credited with sort of sparking the personal branding movement. Do you feel like at this point, when people come to you, that they get the gist of it? Or do you feel like you still have to explain the the basics to people? I wish. A couple of years ago, I thought I sound like a broken record. I say the same thing over and over. Nobody cares anymore. And now I've never been so busy and booked out because people now jump onto it. It's like realize how important it actually is. But having said that, there's still a lot of education to do in terms of what it is and what it isn't. 
because and especially senior executives are so worried about having to have a massive personal profile like Gary Vee or being out there 24-7 or sharing every single detail about their life. And this is not what personal branding is all about. It's helping them understand the context as to why it's important and how they can make it work for them. Because even the way how you build your presence and your profile is very unique to individuals. And what works for one person doesn't mean it works exactly with somebody else. I tried so many group coaching options and I don't quite like, or I'm not quite convinced that you get the same results because you still have to have kind of a cookie cutter approach. But when you can work with somebody one-on-one, you can really drill down what makes you tick and how can you best make content creation work for you or how do you best commercialize your IP? Because again, there are a million and two ways how you can go about that. Do they have to stay on brand all the time? Is it an always on kind of thing? Or do you get situations where you can say, I'm sort of leaving my brand at the door and I'm just going to be who I feel like being today? <laughs> no, if I'm hungry and I'm tired, you don't want to be close to me. And this is when I'm really authentic. But do I want people to perceive me with it or have me in memory as this kind of right. person? No. <laughs> so I think in a second, you are clear with what you want to be uh, connected and associated with. Like what's kind of the feeling that you want to leave behind? What kind of energy do you want to bring in the room? You are your full self. And even just doing a bit of a market research with your own peers and the groups that you're usually with, what is it that you associate with me? If it would be a car, what would it be? If you wouldn't know what kind of job I'm doing, what would you think I'm doing? Because it actually helps to clarify what people associate with you already. And I think it actually makes it so much easier to be 100% yourself. Having said that, there are, I think, different personas and personality types that you bring into different situations and the context really matters. Personally, I'm the biggest introvert you can ever meet. So if I don't have to talk to anyone and can stare against the wall, I'm happy. <laughs> but does it reflect my profession? Not at all, which is why having the non-negotiables for me. And again, it comes down to knowing how can you refill your cup? How can you manage your energy that you don't burn out, that it doesn't feel like right. heavy lifting and knowing also why that's the case. So when you start to work with somebody, what's the process look like? So we do a little bit of pre-work. So also what I've identified since COVID is that the sense of urgency is a lot higher. So I used to have my personal brand and authority brand programs over three, respectively, six months. And the first question that I always get asked when I talk to a prospective client is, but how much time does it take? How much do I have to be involved? Like, this is always the biggest concern. And right. I try to get in private for the first eight or so months to condense it into a full day experience that we go through all the steps, but then go away and work with my team on the execution. So that means when we are only working a full day together, there is some pre-work to do. Two of the go-tos that I always use and have used forever are the brand archetype quiz and an Enneagram. Because what it does, it, it gives a really bit insight of why do you act that way? How can we put logic over emotions? How can we identify ways why you respond to certain situations like that? And how do you manage stress? And what are you naturally driven by? And so many people, they just automate their actions. They are so much an autopilot that they don't even yeah. know why they do what they do and why they are exhausted and why they hate life or why they love life. And this helps us to just get some language to that. And then it's also really getting clear and asking a lot of questions and being curious. Always start with what makes you tick and then create your commercialization roadmap around it. And this is the biggest difference, I would say, between building a corporate brand and building a personal brand or a personal brand in business. A company brand starts with doing research and the external focus is first. What does the market mm -hmm. do? Who is our target audience? What do they want and how can we fill this gap? 
Whereas a personal-branded business, I think, needs to do exactly the opposite. It needs to start yeah. with you, that you know exactly where can I play and provide the biggest value. And then I look external and say, who is it for? Who is my market? And that's the biggest difference. For people, when you're working with them individually, how do you counsel them to measure success, whether it's working? So we define success as four different R's. So it's okay. the reputation, meaning what do you want people to say about you? And we also do a 360 and sometimes it overlaps, but sometimes there's a big gap. Either way, it just gives us an opportunity to work on it. Either we go all in to certain traits and actions that we enhance the presence and the profile and the perception, or we change the actions. And especially when you want to shift gears or pivot careers, you need to change your perception of others. Like when you are known as the doer, now you want to be considered as the strategic leader, there are two worlds in between. So we need to work on that. So a reputation, but also revenue. Like, what do you want to make? It's like, I want to earn a lot of money. What is that? <laughs> Everyone's got their yeah. own idea of that. We also talk about the ripple effect. When you've got the success, when you achieve your goals, what's the ripple effect on others? And then the last one is the relationships. Who do you want to be with personally and professionally? What kind of connections do you want to have in your back pocket? Because that also helps us to identify which kind of audiences we need to get in front of. So these are the four R's. Just putting monetary value on something, it's too vague and superficial. And the second you achieve it, it's like, yeah, what's next? And this is yeah. not what a proper coaching process should involve. So for people who are ready, what <laughs> would you advise them to do in terms of where to get started? It starts with a bit of a self-audit. So mapping out what are the skills that you have acquired, maybe through education, experience, or expertise because you've done a hobby and you've developed a skill set in that. And then map it into the enjoyment level. So often people get stuck in their high performance zone, but not getting into the right. genius zone. So high performance means you're really good at it, but you don't enjoy it. But simply because you've been doing it for so long, you know how to get it done quickly. Whereas if you are in your genius zone, this is where we say you are in your flow zone. You love doing it, but you're also really good at doing it. This kind of little exercise, that is already such an eye opener because so many people are getting stuck in the curse of competence roles, meaning somebody taps them on the shoulder and say, you're so good at bookkeeping. You're so good at blah, blah. I've got a role for you. And we are like, okay, sounds good. I've been doing it for a while, so I can do that again. But if not thought this step further, is it really what I enjoy doing? And then also doing some research in terms of what kind of industries are requiring these kind of skill sets, what kind of professions reflect that kind of requirement, and also where does the market go? How will this professional, this industry change, and how can I create my own little spot or my own economy of one in this profession? Because everyone's got the unique lens and the unique background that they can bring to a role. Very true. I want to switch gears. I know you talk a lot about the future of work, too, and that's another topic that's very, very... <laughs> topical right now, if you will. Yes. So what are your thoughts on the future of work? I love it. <laughs> For two reasons. I think the future of work in a nutshell is self-initiated, self-driven, and also self-regulated. So you are a lot more responsible for not only doing the work, but also getting the work. And this is where entrepreneurship comes in again. As we just said before, just because you work in a large organization or for a large brand doesn't mean your future is proof. And my dad always said, you know, back when I was a child, you only add value to a company until you make commercial sense. And I said, no, 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 they will always find a job for me when you really like me. And he said, sweetie, wake up. It's not the case. You need to either yeah. make money or save money or you are 
was like, hmm, okay. And I think even though he told me that 40 years ago, I think it's more important and relevant nowadays where we've got a lot more pressure, a lot more competition since the world has gone online than ever before. So it comes down to you knowing exactly what is it that I can provide? What's the value proposition that I can bring to a certain audience? And why is that? Which brings us full circle back to where we started self-awareness. Because once I know this is a skill set and a personality trait that I can always rely on, no matter the industry, no matter the environment or the team or the situation that I'm thrown in, I've got a lot more confidence that I can use this skill also here, even though I've never been here, but I can rely on that. I certainly agree with the fact that, and it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation, that you have to manage your own career. There will be more opportunities that will not be taken care of for you your point from a second ago about the person who said to you, you're either making money or saving money. It's not like you're good and I'll always find a job for you. I think many of us have been in the wrong place at the wrong time at some point in our careers and found ourselves losing a job, even though we were doing good work. What else do you see going on that's really changing? I mean, this topic has like gained such prominence you know, on the back of COVID because so much changed about work during COVID. And I'm curious sort of what else you see that's sort of changing what we're keeping from the COVID era, what you think is going to die off, just any other thoughts in terms of things that are emerging as, as the future of work? Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. And at first, I think there are a lot more changes, not only more frequently happening, but also more significantly like AI has kind of fast-tracked changes we've been seeing coming for a while. Like it's nothing new that there is automation and so forth. It just forces us to now switch gears and also that requires a different mindset, especially what I always call the sandwich generation. When we grew up and climbed the ladder, it was all about how much we knew and how good we were and right. how much work we put in to then get promoted. And that has completely shifted because it's not about what you can create, but what can the team and the collective create. It's not about having a certain amount of experience, but it's more how can we tap into the individuals and create a lot more insightful experience based on different experiences, based on different levels of seniority, for example. Also, instead of having more answers, it's about asking more questions. And AI is kind of forcing us because yes. if we just put in a simple prompt to say, write me a blog on career change, we get the worst blog ever because for whom, how long, which platforms, like we didn't give any proper instruction. So it forces us to be more strategic with our thinking that we can give better instruction. And I think it actually forces also leaders to step up in their delegation tasks. Just because I say to a team member, do this, doesn't mean this team member does it because I've not given more context and relevance to that. So that's a big change. Another change that I would say is that we to rethink the value creation. So when AI and technology and the tools can already do the doing, how can we still stay relevant for a business? Where else can we use our skills that we've acquired over the years, but package it in a different way? And I think this requires a mindset shift because usually, especially our generation, we are wrapped up our identity in a job title or in a level of seniority and how much power we have. Nowadays, it's not about that anymore. So there's a lot of change happening, which yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. There's always talk. This topic gets intertwined all the time with the generational discussions, right? What do the Gen Xers think? What do the millennials think? What do the Gen Zers think? I'm curious, I'm sure you work with people across a range of those age brackets. Do you feel like there really are differences in how they're approaching work at this point? A hundred thousand percent. <laughs> I've been doing for, I always call it my paid hobby, but I also teach at a couple of universities at night right. for a couple of reasons. A, to always 
work on my public speaking skills and get the same message across different audiences, but then also stay on the pulse with what's going on. And because I'm teaching marketing and social media, I need to try different things. And I also learned so much from my younger students. And what I've realized, and I've been doing it for, I thought it was only a couple of years, but it's nearly six years that I've actually been doing that. And what I've yeah. seen over the years is that the younger students always ask, can we do it quicker? Or there's a shortcut for that. Or yeah. they always try to fast track the results. Whereas the older students, they try to understand the why. They want to make it perfect. They spend hours and hours on changing tiny little bits and Younger students are getting out imperfectly done is better than 100% perfectly planned. This is kind of their motto. So yeah, there's a 100% big shift. And also when a younger professional doesn't like their job, they're gone in a heartbeat. They're not it up, picking it up. Whereas, you know, how we probably more so grew up is like, put your head, do the work. Yeah. And don't leave a job till you have a job, right? Yes, Absolutely. I was like, yeah. wow, go you. And I think especially the sandwich generation who have seen the different way of working, but also now see the younger generation, they are yeah. quite in the midst because they don't like their role and they want to change and they see that others can do it. But at the same time, they have grown up differently. So their value system still operates differently. I think there's a lot of education and mindset rewiring to do for them. But at the same time, the younger generations, they don't see that there's a lot of job stability. They see companies laying off stuff left, right, and center. It's like, when you are not loyal to me, why should I be loyal to you? And it's only been you know, a thing of the last few years that this has been happening. I think it took a long time for companies to really realize how much the loyalty factor was just gone. And you've got to continue to earn loyalty from your employees every day. It's not something that you can take for granted as an employer. And that's where your employer branding work. You mentioned it earlier in the conversation that it's risen in prominence. I think that's why. Because they now realize that, you know, mm -hmm. they have to have a value proposition and they've got to continue to keep people there. Absolutely. And this is another big topic that the global talent shortage and the great resignation and the quiet quitting, like all those trends, quote unquote, they happen for a reason. They are response to what people experience and what they are seeing in the market. So finger pointing and blaming everyone else for what's happening is not quite the answer. And everyone yeah. adds and contributes to that. I agree. So you came up through the ranks doing digital marketing. This is an area that a lot of people are interested. So I wanted to spend some time on that today as well. Can you describe some of the different things that you did over the years in your various digital marketing roles? Absolutely. Now, I started in a very traditional brand and product marketing role. And when I graduated, so I've got a master's in marketing, but I graduated in 2006. Like this is literally three lifetimes ago <laughs> in the marketing world. Because what I learned was billboard advertisement and radio and TV ads. Now right. there's no company or brand spends any money on that. And my big wake up call was when I was already in my career for 10 years and I faced a very toxic work environment. And I was responsible to manage 18 boards at the same time. So I was in a senior role. So I wasn't actually hands-on anymore, but I had teams and agencies doing the doing. And when mm -hmm. I started to apply for other senior roles, they all required digital marketing and social media skills. And this was a big wake-up call because I kind mm -hmm. of slept through the trends and I didn't know a thing. So I left the industry 
because whatever happened with my confidence, it was done. I got into recruitment. And this was the time when I started to upskill myself in digital marketing and social media. I thought, I don't want to be left out. And I take a couple of years and then go back into marketing, which just never happened. But I started to get really interested in how does everything work? How can we track things? Because when I started in marketing, marketing was a cost center, not a profit center. We couldn't track anything. There was no data. It was kind of a gut feeling whether a billboard drove traffic to the restaurant or not. And now it's like, oh my God, with digital marketing, you can see every click. You can see every drop out. You can measure everything. So we become a profit center. So yeah, I've been upskilling that. And this is also where I started teaching because I wanted to ensure every student who comes through my ranks, make sure there's life learning as a commitment to their own career. Just because you've got a degree, a certificate, a diploma, a master's degree, doesn't mean a thing. This is where yeah. learning starts. <laughs> so I've upskilled in content marketing. And this is how I drive a lot of traffic and inquiries to my businesses. So I show up on LinkedIn pretty much every day. It's organic because there's still a lot of traction. So I've mastered kind of the art of LinkedIn. But I also do podcasts, which is also a digital marketing asset. I everything is connected in the background. What else? I also work with my client on their content and communication strategy. Because in the end, this is how you build trust. This is how you make your IP and the promise that you want to stand for transparent when you can communicate what you do and how you do it. And then I've also done some paid advertisement, having said that not the best at it, not quite, uh, yeah, I haven't nailed it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I can relate to that. Trust me. I find uh, Google ads to be utterly oh, mystifying. Thank um, you. Even <laughs> outsourced it and even they didn't quite nail it. So it's a mystery to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me as well. You started in the traditional or more traditional marketing space and you learned your way in to the digital marketing space. What do you think you need in terms of the skills to be, other than the technical skills, what else is necessary for you to be successful in a digital marketing role? Being a strategic thinker, meaning so many learn only the skills and the latest tools and how the algorithm works today and how to make reels pop. This is only a blink in the grand scheme of things. We still yeah. need to go back to the basics because how decisions are made, how consumers are purchasing. We choose one brand or product or person over another. Those kind of basics, they don't change. So we need to understand that. What is the customer journey? What uh, do I want to stand for? What makes me different as a business, as a company, as a brand, as a person to everyone else? And then I overlay the digital channels and the social media tools and the automation on top of that. So being a strategic thinker is literally where it all starts and ends because the tools, if it's Reels, if it's TikTok, if it's threads, whatever it might be, they come and go and they go quicker these days than they come. But this is not how you build a solid career at all. Yeah, consistency certainly matters an awful lot. It goes back to what we were talking about with branding. When you are consistent and authentic in your brand, there's an amplification effect that comes from consistency that I think a lot of people underappreciate. And the same is true when you're doing marketing work. Absolutely. And then the other skill is, and that goes for pretty much every profession, is to stay curious. Go out yeah. to industry conferences, talk to people, read blogs, listen to podcasts. This is how you learn, stay up to date, get inspired. So that's a non-negotiable tool. See, you mentioned earlier, you've got nine, 10 revenue streams. I know you've done some personal training and fitness instruction over the years, as, as you mentioned. How does that fit into your own brand and how you choose to spend your time? I have to say they are all interconnected. Like I'm not dog walking, parasiting, cooking and coaching. Like they are very connected. So I've developed my own framework that I've now 
been monetizing in different ways. So let's say I have my book, obviously. I've also got yeah. online courses that people can take. I do coaching. I do keynotes. I do a corporate training and leadership retreats. I do executive coaching, which is different to personal brand coaching. Everything is very much connected in terms of my IP. So I'm leveraging the same systems, processes, assets, but just in different ways, how people can experience me and work with me and also depending on their budgets and their timeframes. So you do podcasts as well. How long have you been doing your podcast and, and what have you learned about what it takes to be successful as a podcaster? Still learning every day. If you've got tips, let me know. <laughs> so hardly anyone knows, but it's my third show. The very first one I called the talk series. So I just interviewed other people because yeah. I knew I didn't necessarily have the skills to talk to the camera, to the microphone myself for half an hour. I just didn't. And that was quite atrocious, to be honest. <laughs> Sound quality was horrible. Like everything was quite shocking, but you have to start somewhere. And I did 50 episodes with that. So I did yep. a year. Then I switched to your and your future. And again, 50 episodes later, and last year, I changed again. So I'm now onto my third show called The Trusted Authority. And what I've learned over the years now is having a, a system is key. So I've got content dedicated to certain months that I have a bit of a, a roadmap, what I'm talking about. There's a bit of a thread in terms of what kind of guests do I bring on? What kind of content do I create? Where are people at with their mindsets? What do they want to purchase at that time of the year. What I also learned is preparation is key and you get much better with communicating, asking questions, active listening, but also continuing a conversation that's interesting also for others because it's one thing to ask questions and it's another thing to continue conversations as if we have been best buddies for you know years that the listener who doesn't know any of us feels right. like they're part of the conversation they're just in like in a cafe it's like oh what are they talking about to keep it interesting the formats and the, the what actually works the shows constantly changes people don't have attention spans you need to make everything short if i see a seven nine even 11 minutes podcast episode guess what i'm not listening to it it's not even worth mm. pressing play it needs to be long-form content. And I think this yeah. is also where your strategy and your intention comes in to say, what do I want to do with this content? Like a short-form content on LinkedIn, it's about awareness. But a podcast is about how can I get to know you more? Because I've been exposed to your content of your thought leadership of your brand, and now I want to know more. So giving them only a three-minute episode, what does it do? Nothing. These episodes are, for me, generally between about 40 and 50 minutes. Sometimes they go even longer than that. But at the same time, you can always take excerpts out of them to put into social media, right? The two or three minute single answer to a question that really gets at a topic that resonated with you. And I mean, the beauty of this format to me, we got video, we got audio, you can reuse it in a lot of different ways and for a lot of different purposes. This is also part of your brand and how people perceive you. But this is exactly what branding in the end is all about. How do we make somebody feel when I show up? If it's an email, if it's a phone call, if it's an actual conversation, if it's a social media post, it's all touch points that yeah. form a passion about somebody. Yeah. I mean, for me, certainly the preparation part of it is thinking a little bit in the days before I actually sit down and write out my draft set of questions. What do I really want to cover with this person? What do I think they're going to be able to uniquely talk about? And the ideas sort of crystallize and then I just start working on it. And sometimes it, it gets spit out in 20 minutes and sometimes it takes a bit longer than that. <laughs> You've got your book too. I don't want to miss talking about your book. When did you publish your book and how's the reaction been? I published it on the 1st of December, 2020. 
I started writing it on the 1st of July. Well, with writing, I mean laying out what the concept is all about. I never had on my bucket list to write a book. Like, you know, so many say, writing a book, this is my one and only goal. And I never thought that at all. And then one day to my partner said, you know what? I need to write a book. And he said, you know that English is not your first language. Are you sure? I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I started writing. And the good thing was that I've been creating content at that stage for about eight years. So I had a lot already in terms of social media posts, in terms of blog posts, in terms of podcasts. So I didn't start from nothing. But I also started to do more research. And especially this is where COVID hit. How can we build authority? How can we build a personal brand when we are not necessarily in a close environment, where we've got more competition? And this is what also led me more into the future of work to research. How do you actually respond to the changed market? Because simply doing what worked when Peter Drucker came up with the personal brand concept doesn't work today anymore. Like the principles are the same, but the approach to go about it, that's different. And has it been perceived really well? (laughs) Like I had more interest from especially companies on workshops and keynotes than I had before. It is expensive business card. Like I can't retire from the book sales. Let's be yeah. honest. Amazon takes a little bit too much. <laughs> but at the same time, it shows and gives a bit of a proof that you know what you're talking about. So when you are getting paid to speak, for example, and you've written a book, people have already perception. Perception is reality, whether it's right or wrong, that you know your stuff, that you can talk about it, that you've got a profound insight into that topic compared to somebody who has never been showing up with any of their thought leadership content. So yeah, I would say it's not a retirement plan by all means. It's more an expensive business card to open doors and bigger opportunities than before. And and certainly a lot of people will write a book, not necessarily for the commercial sense, but just more because it kind of fits with everything else they're trying to do. And it becomes an amplification point, right? It's a way to help them generate business to build credibility. So you must be incredibly disciplined about how you use their time. Are there certain routines or habits that help you be effective? Yes, absolutely. Like I'm a very intentional person, very pragmatic. Like this is also why I want to change the perception of person branding, because there's often a bit of smoke and mirror how we do that. As like, if there is not a repeatable process that we can rely on to get results, it's not a thing. And it's not reliable that everyone else can do it. This is not what a professional should be all about, especially when we come into more, not just the knowledge economy, but the wisdom economy. So how can I distill right. what I know in a way that creates results for you? You need to have a process that you can rely on. You need to have systems and assets in place that do the heavy lifting for you and make sure that your clients get results. So also with my day-to-day, I'm very strict and routine because the routine allow me to be a lot more creative. So there are only three days where I have client-facing or external-facing activities. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays for me, and Mondays and Fridays, I do teach a little bit, but at the same time, it's also admin days and so forth. Like I need to have those downtimes and down days where I face people, where I can do admin work. I also do my content creation on a Sunday, for example, because it is a lot quicker. Like in a couple of hours, I get at least one month of content done, if not more, because I'm not in constant stress that somebody calls or I get an email. So it's, I've got, don't do a strict five days work week. Like I do something on a Sunday, for example, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like work to me. And I know some people say it's controversial that you work on weekends. But if yesterday, for example, I went to the hairdresser in the afternoon, guess what? 
<laughs> there was no work happening, even though usually I do some social media on that too. But it comes down to managing your own energy. And this is also where entrepreneurship comes in. Nobody tells you to do that. And in this nine to five mindset, it doesn't work for me. It never has. Like I get more done because I'm an early bird between the hours of six to 10 in the morning than others would get done in the entire day. And in a second, I'm thinking I've done it now twice. How can I automate it? How can I give it to my VAs? How can I create a system around it that I don't have to do it? So I think it's also challenging what you do. Is it still the most effective way that we can leverage technology or other people to do it? Other than your insane early workout (laughs) habit, what else do you do to recharge your batteries? I give you a bit of my morning routine because I've been doing it for I don't know how many years. I get up at 3 or 2 in the morning. (laughs) Then I always think before I really awake of three things that I'm really grateful for because it also primes me to think of the positives. And then I go to the gym from 3.30 to 4.30, come home and then walk my dog with my partner. This is where we have got a walk and talk. Like we don't have a lot of time together, but we've got quality time together. And this is where we debrief on the day before, where we talk about what's ahead, any kind of ideas we've got, dreams that we want to explore and so forth. Like that's quality time in the morning. Then I get to work around 7, 7.30 sometimes a little bit earlier. And that's pretty much my morning routine. But I think having certain non-negotiables, like for me, it's exercise. If I don't exercise, don't talk to me. I'm just such a bad person, (laughs) like very unbalanced. I I constantly feel rushed and it's just a weird thing for me. But also the walks and talks. I don't need to watch hours of TV with a partner to feel connected. Like if we've got half an hour, an hour together, Right. So yeah, these are the non-negotiables for me for sure. And then also there needs to be some kind of learning. So it's definitely listening to podcasts in the morning. I also have subscription to learning and math class and so forth, where I intentionally go through courses. Mm -hmm. And then even conversations like that, you can always learn something. So how are you thinking about the next few years of your career at this point? I'm excited. Like yesterday, I was at the mastermind meeting and they said, rate yourself for the future on a scale from one to five. And I'm like, I think I'm a 16, maybe I'm a 17. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm always living already in the future. Like I'm excited for what's ahead. The day to day and the doing the doing to get there, that bores me a little bit, to be honest. But in terms of what's ahead, as I said before, I'm in the midst of merging the businesses and having worked with a few investors groups of the last 18 months or two years nearly on scale-ups. Like I've got a lot of connections in the entrepreneur and the executive space. We've got this amazing idea. We've got tech knowledge, but you don't necessarily have the commercial understanding, nor the budget, nor the marketing skills. And this is where I can now work on the end-to-end from actually refining the business model to getting them the money, to connecting them with the investors, to help them work on the pitch, to build their teams, to then coach the leaders. Like I literally have the end-to-end spectrum. And I would say the biggest learning that I've had in the last six months, because it's a very different situation to where I was last year. It was all about, am I scaling my coaching business through certification of independent coaches or do I bring coaches underneath my brand and just get business in? And now I'm on neither stage because my big realization was that my strength is actually in the initial stage before it is a thing. You know, my brand archetype is a magician, so I can see what others can't see. So coming up with new ideas, commercializing people and products and brands, this is where I really shine. Whereas the repetition, the actual marketing in terms of analytics, refining, getting better with it, bores me to death. So the next stage to put it a bow on it is to actually get more onto boards, being advisory roles and having a full end consultancy for mainly tech and digital scale-ups. <laughs> 
So it'll be uh, revenue stream 11, 12. That's how you get yourself up to a 16 or 17. You're thinking about revenue streams, not just the qualitative scale. Exactly. And also, even though the businesses have grown or doubled nearly every year, I still see that as linear growth. Whereas I'm like, I want to exponentially grow. And this is by me doing, but by me being involved in other businesses. So getting into the investment space, that's an area that I've now been doubling in for the last six or so months. But I still have so much to learn, but that excites me. That's good. So last question, if you could give advice to your younger self, what advice would you go back and share with her? Um, I would say don't take the now so serious. Like I was very, very serious with Mm. anything that happened to me. But at the same time, because I was always such a future focused person, I never enjoyed the now either. I was constantly dissatisfied with what I had. It's like when I'm turning 30, I've got this and when I've got this, then you achieve it. It's like, uh, and so what? So instead of focusing on the end result, focus on enjoying the journey. What do you want to learn along the way? How can you share with others? How can you celebrate every now and then? I'm not a big celebrator. I'm a chaser. I'm on to the next thing already. But in the end, enjoying what you've achieved and reflecting back this what makes the journey worthwhile. What about you? I'm I'm curious. What would you tell your younger self? Well, one of the things that certainly took me a long time to learn, Petra, is that the world of work is not a meritocracy, right? And Mm -hmm. you may be smart, you may be really good at what you do, but there's the soft dimension to it was completely foreign to me in the early part of my career. And it probably took me a decent number of years to really figure that out, right? At that point, relationships changed, right? Up until then, I came in, I was going to do a job, I was very focused, you know, I was thinking about what I needed to get done, but I wasn't really paying attention to the nuances. And I needed to pay much more attention to the nuances. I needed to be more emotionally aware. I needed to be aware of how I was coming across. I needed to be aware of what was going on with the other person and demonstrate more empathy. And to me, it would be going back and saying, hey, get this right earlier. You're going to be a lot better and happier for it. What you just mentioned is so important nowadays, the switch from IQ, how much you know and how good you are, to EQ, how empathetic you are, how well you are with relationship building. It's more relevant than ever before. So I'm glad you had this realization now. Just took a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Better late than never. (laughs) Better late than never, always. You can always be learning. That's definitely true. I, I know you feel that way. You've said it. I definitely feel that way as well. Thanks for doing this. Covered a lot of ground in 45, 50 minutes. So Hopefully, it will be something that your audience and my audience will both find beneficial. So I appreciate you making time and I wish you well with all of your various business endeavors. Thank you so much. And I am honestly excited to follow your journey and to know more of your ideas. Yeah, we got connected by Beth Kennedy, who's somebody who works with me in this career venture that I've been working on. And she heard you speak and you never know how you're going to build your network. So now we're connected. We can keep up with each other much more easily. So again, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Petra for joining me today to discuss her focus on personal branding, her thoughts on the future of work, the world of digital marketing, her own career journey, and some of the things that she's learned along the way and how she's effective doing so, so many different things. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular career insights, you can become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. 
we provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.